The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello again, this is Paul Wilson with the Diesel Performance Podcast. And Scott Henricks. Scott, today I'm really excited to talk about swaps, Frankenstein projects, uh, matchups. Excellent, I am too, but probably in a totally different sense. <laughs> okay, um, I'm excited because I think they're awesome and because I think everybody at some point in their diesel performance life should do one. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I'm just looking for an, the under, better understanding of why. Why would you Why would you do that? Why would you mess with something in that way and create basically what is, I mean, in, in my eyes, kind of more of an abomination than anything? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a valid question. Yeah. I could see why somebody would ask that. Um, I guess to me, there's so much appeal out there in in having performance and having something unique, having something that it's the only one and it can be used in a really, really cool way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so just kind of the, the what would you say, like one-of-a-kind type of appeal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there definitely is that. Um, I think a lot of guys, when they get into doing a swap and how much work goes into it, mm-hmm. it's one of those things like any big project – you really end up identifying with it. You feel like you're a part of that project and, and getting that completed, getting that on the road and and realistically getting recognition for it is what makes it awesome. Is there do you can you think of, I guess, when you think of swaps, is there anything you've seen in a magazine or up close in person, number one, what, what do you think of? My all-time favorite, and I, I've seen a ton, but my all-time favorite is definitely the Colorado done by Enrique Gonzalez at the Diesel Shop Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely phenomenal truck, phenomenal looking under the hood. No, it doesn't really look OEM. You you know it's been modified, but it's the cleanest swap I've ever seen. Yeah, um, It is a balls-out race truck. Yep. It's a two-wheel drive Colorado that I think weighs God, around 4,000 pounds. And he's running, I mean, he was running 600, 700 horsepower out of it. Yeah. It's a monster. Yeah. And if you see it sitting next to you, it looks like a mini truck. It looks like a Tonka toy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's badass. So to me, there's that appeal of, you know, for some of these guys, I guess for him, it was a racing thing. Mm -hmm. He wanted to cut weight, and the best way to cut weight was to get a lighter chassis. And if you're going to get a lighter chassis and stick with a truck, it it all kind of whittles down and funnels down to ending up where he did. Yeah. Uh, For a lot of other guys, I'm starting to see it become really popular doing 12-valve swaps. Yep. So I got a 6.0. It's a piece of junk. Um, so I ripped it out of my Ford and I threw a 12 valve in it. Mm-hmm. Six wires. It runs forever. Minimal maintenance. Minimal yep. work. Turn the pump up. Not the most badass street truck, mm-hmm. but probably something a whole lot more reliable than it was from the factory. Yeah, that's true. And kind of going back and like talking about Enrique's truck. I guess when you look at a build like that and taking consideration what people have been doing for years with like funny cars. And things like that. It's basically this kind of the same exact principle because you know you're looking at these items that people are putting on on the track, and they're saying, "Oh yeah, this is a this is a Ford Escort, and <laughs> it runs, you know, it's running fours or something like that in the quarter." You're like, that, "That's no, you slapped a sticker on the front of a plastic, you know, body, <laughs> like, but in no way is that it." And it's kind of, I guess, in a way, I could see that working out for for the serious guys that are taking it to the track. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I, I started off my first experience with a, uh, with the whole, the whole conversion was a, uh, is a Ford expedition 
with a Cummins 6.7 and an Allison behind it. And when you think, like, why? What could go wrong? Well, you put you put all of the best ideas out there. I love a Ford chassis. Yep. Nobody's ever built a better frame and chassis than a Ford. Yep. Um, I love a Cummins. I don't know if I would have done a 6.7 myself, but, mm-hmm. but okay, you, they make more power, allegedly. You know, there's some debate there. But still, I get picking a Cummins motor, and then, of course, you'd run an Allison behind it. Yeah. Um, I take it it wasn't so smooth, though, huh? No. I mean, you've got – you're talking about just, you know, just not not like square peg round hole into a star hole type of like just <laughs> just jamming it in there. And the thing had been by the time by the time I had seen it, it had been through three shops already, you know, and it's kind of one of those things like just just get it, just make it, just make it work, just make it run. <laughs> and that's kind of whenever I, I hear about it, that's that's what I see is is you have a the, it's a, it's great in concept, you know, as long as you're picking, I guess it's kind of like with anything, you have to pick the right components. There are things where, yeah, I, I love this, this aspect of this truck and this part of this truck and this part of this truck, but they're just, they're just not meant to go together. It's a platypus. It is. It's, yeah, you got some pl- like crazy platypuses running out there and, and there's only a couple people that can race a platypus or make a platypus work, if you will, you know? So you got to find, as long as you've got the right people doing it, but um, yeah, just just some of them just shouldn't they shouldn't exist the swap projects i i have i will admit i have seen quite a few go wrong and what when i'm thinking go wrong i guess i usually see so many unfinished mm-hmm. i see guys who went to go throw a 12 valve in a car i see guys who went to go put a duramax in an old c10 chassis i see guys trying to do five nine common rail swaps into a newer ford body because it, it'll make more power um or because they want efi live tuning or crazy things like that I could see where that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, as you you had mentioned, that there are some people out there who do it right. I know I talked to Eric Swanson of Durber very recently, and I was asking him why. Uh, I asked him how long, because I think those are some of the other big problems that we get into as we start to take a look at that. Yep. And here's Eric Swanson now. Why wouldn't GM put the most powerful drivetrain torque related into their heaviest and biggest vehicle the suburban sure it just it just didn't make any sense to me i thought that that was that's the perfect ideal vehicle so i went out and i bought an 01 suburban that is still to this day on our youtube channel it's one of the very first videos and i bought an 02 silverado and to make it cost cost effective for me because i you know i had to charge this stuff i converted the gasoline Suburban to a Duramax LB7, and I made the pickup truck a 6-liter 4L80 gasoline pickup and sold both vehicles off. Really? Um, It took me three months to accomplish that task. Oh, wow. And then it took another couple of months of tweaking to get it perfect. Um, One of the things that sets Durber products apart from anybody else in the industry, and there's a couple other companies in the United States that do this, is we are just so emphatic and, for lack of a better term, anal about making sure that every piece of GM hardware goes back in its factory location. So um, that's that's part of what caused it to take so long. It was, just, it was, it was terribly time-consuming. i got to say three months on a, on a swap project, not bad. As, as swaps are concerned, they're generally something that you work on every other weekend when the wife allows and you have nothing else to do. And they end up 
a lot of guys talk year, two years, things like that to get it finished. You know, three months to me seems like a long time. My wife, <laughs> my wife's claim to fame is in our 25 years of marriage. She has never owned a vehicle that retained its factory drivetrain. <laughs> so engine swaps are not anything new to us. I mean, it's so to me, three months is a long time. But yeah, I do see guys that take a couple years to build some stuff. Okay. How long does it take now? Uh, seven to ten days. Oh, God. <laughs> Radically different today. Oh, um, my God. It, at Duraburb here in, in, in Apopka, we're just outside of Orlando, Florida. Um, we have a 3,600 square foot shop and we have four lifts and we build approximately three trucks a month. Oh my God. As a matter of fact, it looks like it's going to come in right around November. We will be building our 250th anniversary truck. That is awesome. Congrats. Thank you very much. We're proud of the guys here. <laughs> How are you guys able to cut the time down? Uh, well, well, I guess first we should talk about the procedure. So let's say you have a 2008 Suburban and you want an LMM in it. We'll go out and find an 07 to 10 LMM truck with close or less miles than what you have on your Suburban that is a one or maybe two owner vehicle with a good maintenance history because the pedigree of the diesel is everything in this. And once we acquire the truck, um, you know, that was in an unfortunate place at an unfortunate time and got totaled, uh, <laughs> we will bring the truck in, confirm that everything is okay. We'll test run it, check injection rates and, you know, look the whole thing over, make sure everything is solid. Uh, we order any parts that are needed to complete it. So like if it gets front end damage on it and it needs an inner cooler and maybe a core support and things like that, we order all those parts directly from GM. They all come in, they go in the back of the truck, and the truck becomes what we call boxed because it's got all its boxes in it. We bring the truck in, we take the cab off, we strip everything out of the frame rails. Um, depending on the mileage of the SUV, let's say your Suburban has 250,000 miles on it. Well, it'd probably be a good idea to swap the differentials out while we're in there. So we'll yank front and rear differentials and, of course, the engine transmission transfer case and all the associated wiring. Once that's happened, you can put the body back together and roll the carcass out. Um, we have a company out of Canada that buys all our all our trucks, the carcasses. Then with all that Duramax hardware sitting on the floor, we back your gas suburban into the bay, take the body off of it, and do the same thing all over again. We just repeat, pull everything out, put all the Duramax hardware in, tie it all in, and then program all the modules so that everybody communicates correctly and drive it out as diesel. And typically, like I said, it takes between 7 and 10 days. We that do advise customers, cool. be prepared to be out of your vehicle for 30 days because, you know, you do have shipping time. We offer doorstep-to-doorstep -door service. Um, we'll pick your vehicle up, bring it down here, build it, return it to you, and hand you the keys rolling coal. So you can hear from Eric, uh, three months to complete his very first swap. Mm -hmm. I find that extremely impressive. And he does actually give us some good pointers of why you would consider it. What is appealing beyond just the cool factor? Because yep. there is that unique and cool factor to doing the swap. But, you know, he mentions it being practical. You know, yep. if you got four kids and something to tow and you want to go on a long trip, well, you're not putting the little one between the two of you in the front seat, mm -hmm. especially nowadays with center councils and 
nuttiness. Oh, you, yeah. you know, everybody wants a third row seat. So he specifically builds them for people who want to use them in a wide range of things. Mom runs the kids to soccer practice. Dad pulls the boat. The kids fit all the way through everywhere, and they're getting 20 miles to the gallon in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the thing I definitely, I mean, I guess to kind of contradict myself, in in the case of Duraburb, you have, you're taking Chevy or, you know, GM components and putting into a GM more GM. So okay. it's kind of, it's, it's the same family. And that's, and that, that, you know, with that, making that work, that, that's, that's awesome. It's kind of like, I guess, um, I don't know, I wouldn't call it, it's almost, boy, not, not quite Frankenstein-ish, more like if you were to, I guess you're just like transplanting limbs okay. at that point, <laughs> if you will. And that's what, and, and it works great. I mean, I, I've, I've been really lucky to have actually experienced the Duraburb and there's just, you, you want one. That's the thing about <laughs> what they're doing down there is amazing. Eric's doing great work. I, I totally get that. Okay. Okay. So, so we can agree that there are some applications, there are some avenues to do it the right way. But mm -hmm. for most of our listeners at home who are considering doing a swap, we also have some warnings out there. Yes. Some potential pitfalls, I'd call it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, number one to me, time. Eric, I feel, is probably the exception and not the example. Mm -hmm. Three months to finish his very first swap ever, well, I, his very first diesel swap ever, is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll hear from Nick Pregnant a little bit later on about some of his estimates of calibrated power on what it took for him to do a swap on TimeWise and see that that's not always the case, that three-month ballpark. Yep. Um, what do you think? Um, no, yeah. In, in terms of time, you just, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, especially if we are, you know, you're, you're talking different OEMs, like items that were never, you know, never meant to even be in the same shop together in some cases. <laughs> and you're trying to fit them on the same vehicle. You know, you never know what you're getting into at that point, then you're trying to make things fit and you don't know, you might get it together one day, take it out all of a sudden something, you know, you know, 10 miles from the shop breaks and you're back back at square one trying to get it figured out so gotcha. yeah definitely time's an issue um for me the the big thing is just the, the cost that goes into some of these items where you have someone who will pick up a you pick up a donor truck for i don't know you say like six to six to twelve thousand dollars and sure. then you roll it in and then you throw another 30 to 40 at it like what could you have gotten originally from that, if you, if you had gone to gone to a dealer, or found something online for that, like you know, thirty five, forty five thousand dollars, like could you have gotten something that you know is just gonna run right, run well, right out of the gate? I mean, given it's not, you know, it's not it's not a one of a kind, it's not as cool, but it's reliable. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, just me, I, I it's just the way I think. That's a that's a big word to throw around. Okay, so what about the guy who thought he got a great deal on? Let, let's take it back. Something that I am seeing become more and more popular with companies out there like Diesel Conversion Specialist mm -hmm. and DStroke.com, guys who are specifically doing 12 valve swaps into 60 Fords. And the reason I bring this up is because I bash 60 Fords a lot. Mm -hmm. um, although I know they do have their their upsides as well, they seem to be a prime candidate for for going back to these old mechanical motor pump motors in them which does make the truck more reliable. Mm -hmm. um, man, cost, I think, would be a tough one. Like, yes, I feel that you could have gotten a better truck from the start, right? Because you could have taken the $8,000, $10,000 you spent on a 6.0 Ford. You could have pulled the motor. You're doing a 12-valve, which cost you two grand mm -hmm. for, for a really, really, really awesome motor. Um, 
probably another $4,000 in accessories to install it. Maybe a little bit more to finally get it on the road. You know, you know, I mean, you're talking, you invested around fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Total project out the door driving. For twenty grand, I guess you could have gotten into what a, an 06 Cummins, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a real early Duramax model, maybe even I mean a really nice seven three from Ford if you really had to have the oval. You yeah. know, so I I could see what you're saying there. Yes, you can do it, um, but why? Right. I guess yeah. it's a good one. Okay. Yeah, I think I think also, but you know, so a point that you made too is just knowing where you're getting it from. So if you got it from a guy who's just doing, you know, oh, I got this idea. I went down the junkyard, put this together in my garage. Here we go, <laughs> gonna flip it. That's one. But you're talking about, you know, diesel converted specialists, people who do specialize in this and are doing like this is what they do. Right. Um, I mean, that I can definitely get on board with. Okay. Okay. So you can see it if if there's. There's some testing out there. There's some proof out there. There's somebody else to rely on because I think that's something that a lot of us forget is that when we're doing a swap, nobody wants to take that phone call. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, can't call the guys who built the motor. You can't call the guys who you bought the tuning from. You can't call the guys, you know, your regular Joe Schmo performance shop. Unless they specialize in doing swaps, they probably don't know mm-hmm. how to help you. And number two, even if they are, they probably want to get paid for helping you. That's, yeah. that's what they do for a living, right? Yep. So I would imagine that finding information is one of the things that a lot of people run into and, and get held up on. On that end, I would like to refer people over to Duramax Forum, to Diesel Place, to Diesel Bombers, um, all great places to go. A lot of human interaction there through online of getting information and posting questions and getting answers from a, a large group of people, really crowdsourcing your problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a great a great way to set expectations too because you can hear stories from just a vast amount of people and also people that have I mean, definitely going to get some opinions. <laughs> definitely get opinions on those things too. So That is true. Anytime you're on the the internet forums, the full of opinions, mm-hmm. right? That yeah, definitely. Um and we kind of mentioned this earlier, you know, we we did take time to sit down and talk to Nick about about a build that he worked on kind of in terms of setting expectations, things of that nature. Getting into this, you there's usually and sometimes you're going to have a few surprises down the road, and that can lead to a couple couple items you you weren't expecting, timeline, cost, things like that. So I guess to kind of get the other side of the story, maybe we should kick it over to Nick real quick and hear what he has to say. I love it. The original plan was, you know, Along the same lines as the original work stock puller's plan of, oh, I'll just build the trans and put bump stops in it and uh, a sled pulling hitch and the big tune and, you know, be competitive. Right. So the original plan was we'll find a an okay 58 or 59 truck um, and a an wrecked LB7 and we'll put them together to the point where they can run and we can pull and then we'll do body work as necessary. Maybe the year after, or the year after that, or whatever, right? Um, what it turned into was a two-and-a-half-year project that resulted in the body being show-quality, immaculate, everything new. You know what I mean? It went down, went down a freaking rabbit hole. <laughs> you know? that's, what's, that's what happens on these things. You... I, I love it. So two-and-a-half years, man. That's a... That's a stick to itness there in that project. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to give a shout out to my body guy Brett Keel for having the truck for a year. You know, his storage fee I didn't have to pay, but 
<laughs> body work that that is a trap that most guys don't think about because you, I, I saw the original shots of that truck it wasn't in rough condition yeah it wasn't until you sanded it or sandblasted it right like i mean it, what can, what can't you hide with teal paint and a paint roller i mean once he started to take it apart it just you know it's just one thing after another and then it becomes well do you want to spend time repairing the panels or do you want to spend time replacing them and you end up in body shop hell right and i mean i i, I nothing to wait against from to take nothing away from brett i would have him do another one you know what i mean they did a really good job it's just it's a rabbit hole. I mean, it's second to none finished product. It looks beautiful. They did a fantastic job on it. Unquestionable. Okay, so the plan obviously changed quite a bit over time. How long did you initially project this plan to take? <laughs> uh, we bought the truck in February, and we were hoping to have the thing ready in five months. You know, have it ready for the pull season. Maybe maybe a little bit into the pull season, a month in. Okay. And, uh, you know... It, I hadn't anticipated going with a built engine at first. I hadn't anticipated, uh, obviously, all the body work. And then once it's in the body shop, it's like, well, it's already in the body shop, so we've got another three weeks. So let's order some more parts. You know, let's order, <laughs> let's do this to the chassis and suspension. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an addiction. Anticipation and a credit card is a dangerous game, sir. It's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'll bite you. I love it. Um, keeping the project cost effective. They're there obviously was an initial budget in mind. There had to be an end budget. I just watched your guys' latest video. It doesn't sound like those two numbers were the same, but are we talking it costs three times what you thought it would, or are we talking it costs just a little bit more? I I can't tell you how much it costs on air because then I'd have to justify that to my wife. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it's... The project engine, <laughs> the project ended without a budget. I mean, it's it's stupid. It, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not plan the project with a budget. I mean, I had an idea in my head of where I thought it would be. Okay. And I I knew that there was a good chance of going one and a half times over that. So <laughs> you know, I figured at most I'll have thirty or thirty five into this thing. Right. right. No way. Not even close. Like, <laughs> not even. Not even close. Okay, that being said, was it worth it? I think it's an awesome truck. I mean, I'm I'm really happy with the outcome. I can't think of a better way to spend that money okay, that I there spent you go. on it. That, that's right? it. That's yeah, it. I mean, so the gains were more than the loss. I, I like it. It was a it was a value to me as a person. Yes. <laughs> I learned a lot from it. I enjoyed it. I think I have a finished product that I can be proud of. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, like you said before, it is show quality. If you guys haven't seen the the pictures of it yet, definitely just Google Apache Max. I know it'll come up. I already tested before this episode. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole YouTube build segment on it that takes you right from, I mean, God, you guys have videos of the day it pulled onto the lot. Yeah, I mean, it, the build process, the Apache Max, is better documented than my child's uh, first three years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Things you shouldn't tell the wife. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. But it is. It is. I mean, there's everything from some of the stuff that I guess most guys who are doing swaps or even just work stock pulling don't really think about. What were some of the surprises, some of the things that you got into that you really never thought you would deal with when we're talking performance or power side? Um, some of the things we got into, um, body, the way the body fits in the stance of the truck. Um, you know, we had to do a lot on that as far as where to place the cab on the frame, uh, extending the fenders, uh, setting the ride height and, um, 
wheel spacers, just little stuff like that, getting the stance of the truck right. That, okay. that was a little more than I was um, anticipating there. Um, I think where a lot of guys, I think one of the places we did well on the truck was to pick a an LB7 and a ZF6. It's a relatively idiot-free combination. You know what I mean? It, you can be a moron and put an LB7 and a ZF6 in a truck. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's one of the easier Duramax swaps you can do. Um, I think we're an easy an easy trap to get in, and where I kind of uh, am in, impressed by how Duraburb <laughs> manages to do it is a 2007 Suburban with a 2006 engine or a 2009 engine. You know, sw- uh, trying to trying to make a a body control module from one year work with an engine control module from another right and knowing what cals to use for that kind of stuff you know that can be tricky for anybody who's who's looking at doing something like this you uh, know it's it's funny you bring that up because we talked to eric and he has so much push for this oem finished product mm-hmm. right to where everything works and it looks factory i've looked at the apache max and that's something i really wanted to hit on here is the interior the gauges the the clusters things like that that you don't think of when you're really specking the project. You don't think For of sure. when you're planning it. It's like you initially said, well, we're just going to get a 58 or 59 Apache. We're going to get an LB7, and we're just going to push them together and, yeah. and something will run. I mean, I knew what I wanted the interior to look like. Uh, Eric Swanson and I have very similar views on what a finished product should be as far as functionality goes and, and appearance. Um, and the way that translates to the Apache Max is that the interior should look stock unless we're absolutely possible. Uh, where it absolutely does, has to not look stock. Right. And that's, you know, for the most part, you open the door and the thing looks like a 58. It, re- it really does. I mean, the, the wheel, is. the seat, the interior, I mean, it Yeah. It looks original. How'd that match up? Because I know an LB7 ECM doesn't just wire up to 58 internals. No, I mean, we had to run two, uh, two uh, wiring harnesses. Um, we had a lot of hiding of wires and electronics. I mean, there's just a lot of electronics that go along with an LB7. All right, yeah. So that was that was very interesting. It's so crazy to hear how different of a process it was. Where I, I love when he says, "Yeah, we were just going to get you know an Apache and a Duramax and just you know put them together. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it would be no big deal. It just, yeah. Oh yeah, like I said, Chevy and Chevy. What could be so hard, right? <laughs> and, and you're not talking about somebody that was short on knowledge or short on funding or short on resources. Knows plenty of people, obviously friends with Eric at Duraburb. I know they do work together, mm-hmm. um, you know, around there at Duramax Tuner Calibrated Power. Obviously, they do a lot of big builds, and it's still not easy. Uh, a year in the body shop? Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of those things where you're just – I'd have a hard time even remembering that I was doing a swap. <laughs> if something spends that much time outside of my – you know, I'm not seeing it every day. So, um you know, yeah, I guess you don't really know what you have until you've stripped it down and really taken a look at it. it. Looks, you know, looks good on paper, looks good in person, but then when you actually get get down to it, you end up replacing a lot more than you expected. Sure. Well, three guys and four six packs always equal a great idea, right? Every time. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose once you get it on the hoist and you start finding out that you're peeling the paint, there's body panels rotted, there's you know a million things that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. That's when the game plan changes, and I think that's where a lot of guys get the tarp out. Yep. You know, it's time to tarp it. 
And when the wife finally drives me crazy enough about it, I'll sell it at a cheap discount and I'll lose my ass on it and we'll just write it off as it is what it is. Yep. That's kind of, yeah, we've seen that where they have just, it's just been a project that's changed hands through the, through its, through its life. Yeah. You just pick it up at 70%. Next guy picks it up at 85 and hopefully someone will get it to a (laughs) hundred. I feel like those, those always drop back down too, though, you know, because you end up getting it and then you look at it and you say, well, you should have done this differently. Yeah. And I've seen a few of those to where they change hands and every guy, every new guy who got his hands on it thought he was solving a problem and ended up creating a new one. Mm-hmm. And so those can get really interesting. I, I guess my biggest piece of advice is, number one, get yourself prepared. Uh, know a plan. You know a fallback for a plan and know a fallback fallback for that fallback plan mm-hmm. because you'll probably use them. Yep. Uh, number two, get prepared. Know a budget. Yep. Don't go into this thinking it's going to be cheap. The term cheap and, and swap should never go together. Um, number three, as far as get prepared for me, make sure that that if you're going to do it, you're going to do it or you have an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. So buy the parts at, at enough of a deal, hustle, whatever you got to do, but but get them in at enough deal that if you have to fire sale them, you know you're not losing the house. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would, I mean, for me, my suggestion is always um, evaluate how much time you have and how much, how much, resources you're willing to put into this and then take a look and see if you can get somebody who does this day in and day out to do it for similar bottom line you know it it may not be it may not be as much fun you might be able to say hey i made this but i'm sure more cases than not you've got people who who went in there thinking hey i'm going to make this happen got in over their heads and then they're just then like you said they're stuck losing their ass i'd rather i'd rather pay someone to do it right than like you know loot lose my pinky finger trying to fit some, you know, fit a Ford transmission on the back of a Cummins. I, I love that. I think that's a really good point on it as well. Um, some of the things that I know we need to hit on here are the highlights mm-hmm. are about how awesome these trucks are. Uh, I had mentioned Enrique Gonzalez's truck. Uh, Eric Swanson at Duraburb has done almost 250 Duraburbs now in his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Pregnitz over at Calibrated Power with Apache Max, the new sled puller in the market. And uh, also, we talked to another gentleman uh, who I got the pleasure of speaking to, Frank Zuccarelli, and he did an excursion with a come and swap. And I can't, I can't remember what trans he was running right off the top of my head. I don't believe that was an Allison, though. Okay. Uh, but we're going to ask all three of them, uh, why do it? What got you motivated or, or what got you into this? And let's hear what they have to say. It's an O2 excursion. Uh, got the bug to do a Cummins conversion, and I got the opportunity to do the whole project through Attitude Performance and Four Wheeler Magazine about five years ago. They wanted to do this conversion, but they didn't have a vehicle to do it. So I sourced this vehicle just for that specific reason and did the conversion for them. This is Tony Zuccarella talking about how he swapped a 5.9 liter common rail Cummins into a Ford excursion and why he wanted to do it in the first place. Just had gone as far as I could go at the time with a 7.3 and was tired of the the noise, the poor running, and the things that you couldn't, you know, get any farther with at that point, you know, six, seven years ago. It was just, they were as far as they could go, and the 6-liter wasn't a good platform at that time. So <laughs> I decided, you know, the, the opportunity to do conversion, I'd seen... Probably the year before I did it, we were down at a dyno shootout, and I saw a guy with a Smarty and a 
another box stacked together on a brand new it was about an 06 Cummins truck and lay down like 575 horse with just two boxes stacked and an exhaust and an air filter and it was just a maze <laughs> kind of put the hook in me for that so it's like well if they can do that with that it would be fun to build one that's crazy because back then that's all it took too is, is guys were just stacking box programmers and running it and i mean 570 horse you thought it was awesome yeah it, it, back in the at that time it was i mean that was you know who would have thought a diesel 500 horsepower? <laughs> well, you said you had taken the 7.3 as far as it could go when it was in there. Did you do any mods to it performance It was done. I had a bunch of stuff from Hypermax down the road here, um, some stuff from Beans Diesel. I had some custom injectors that were done. And um, Joey out at Terminator had done a twin uh, HPOP cut for it so that, you know, get enough oil to run the injectors. But it had so many quirks and you know, day to day, it ran different, and, and the smoke <laughs> was just uncontrollable with the tuning that was available for it. Oh yeah, well, you did say above forty percent throttle, and nobody could see anything behind no, you, right? Not at all, not in that truck. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just hard. I mean, that seven three, you're working on a twenty five year old platform, and you know, the equivalent of Windows ninety five for a for a processor. <laughs> I mean, what, what all can you do with it? That's a good comparison. I like that. I like that. I think that drives it home right there. So so you got uh, an 06 Cummins in it. Is that right? The tr it's actually an 03 motor. I just swapped the harness and the ECM over to the 07 so that I could do the tuning on it. I like how you downplay that. Like, oh, yeah, I just swapped the harness. That, that is not an easy job swapping harnesses. It's not as bad as you think. I mean, for a standalone like this, it's pretty easy because you can just say, oh, I don't need these wires clipped. Throw them on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the gauges all run through the factory Ford ECM, so that none of the gauge wiring is affected by the ECM swap. So it's a lot easier than the Dodge guys have it trying okay. to make the dashboard work. Right. Right. Okay. Um, what all? What all have you done to the motor then? What are we dealing with? Did the, the basic upgrades. Um, obviously, in a the conversion, you can't get the head off the truck to save your life. So I did head studs, uh, new head gasket. Did a Formula One cam. Uh, did valve springs. Uh, Formula One, the stage two injectors. I did all that before we put it in, just because I didn't want to have to pull it out to do any of the the mods after the fact. Sure. You know, and then the usual you know, Garrett ball bearing turbo. I'd run one of those on my. 7.3 truck, and I loved it. So I went back to Garrett, Tom at Turbo Resource out in Colorado, built the turbo. Uh, it's a hybrid stage two, stage three setup so that I can get the best spool up with the best airflow. How big of a compressor? Uh, I believe it's 64. Oh, wow. Okay. That's pretty decent size. I mean, it, you know, for a single, I don't think you can go much bigger before you're going to start getting into spool issues. But so I was trying to keep it as streetable as possible. And that's exactly correct. That's a, that's what we found across the board. Uh, pretty much any of the turbos that I've run, you get into that 66, it it sounds so appealing because they have so much more capacity, but man, the, the daily driving in them just, it's not there. And, and that's what this is. This is a daily driver truck. I'm going to, you know, I use it for daily driving. I'm going to haul a small trailer with it, but it's, it's not a drag truck. It's not a sled puller. It's just a daily driver. So I built it with those parameters, trying to find the best items to work for a daily driver. What'd you do for a trans? Uh, Brian at BTS uh, did my first trans 15 years ago, and he was in on the program with this conversion with the magazine. So they took my existing trans. Uh, I drove down to Lead Hills, Arkansas, on a little Hyundai hatchback with the trans <laughs> in the back. And uh, Brian put it on the bench, opened the, the front cover, and just dumped everything in the garbage and just started <laughs> started from scratch. He did a full, full rebuild, uh, custom spec turbo, or... Uh, converter that was uh precision industries which is what he he uses all the time okay um did a full build on it and handed me the the everything back and said thank you very much for getting us involved <laughs> 
So that was a, a big help there too. That's a, that's nice when you can do it like that, when you can drive it, drop it, and just give it back to me done. And, and yeah. let's, let's only talk about this in a good way. Right. It was one one day. I mean, Brian, even even if you drive the truck there, he, he, it's a one-day turnaround for his trans work. And, and that's the nice thing about it. I got down there. He gets there at 8 o'clock in the morning. And by 3, I was on the road back to Chicago with everything I needed done. Man, that's awesome. How's it held up? Uh, 45,000 miles, no issues, not a problem. Jesus. You know, and, and 40, it started with a you know junkyard motor with about 105,000 miles on it and you know never took the pan off. Just <laughs> we, we popped the head, did the stuff on the top, and put it together. I figured I'm going to run it until it breaks. <laughs> so it's been reliable, huh? It's never, ever, ever given me a problem up until last year. It, with the 03, it had the old uh, bell crank set up for the throttle position, and I started to have sensors with issues with the sensor. Okay. And it's just so expensive to get one of those. Yeah. It was like that was like the final push I needed to go to the new ECM. <laughs> that and then you know EFI Live saying that they were done with the O3 program. So right. th- those two things all happened within a month of each other. And <laughs> I started scouting for a harness and an ECM. That's it. Now, did you do the standalone yourself then, or did you did you source a harness and try to do the conversion that way? I just sourced a used harness from a junkyard and uh, made the changes I needed to make it go into the truck and then wired everything around it. That's pretty advanced, man. What type of uh, mechanical background do you have? I have been a tech my entire life. Uh, I'm ASC certified. I'm also GM certified. I've been in the auto industry since back in the 70s and um, played with computers, played with race cars. So I've, you know, wiring, I wouldn't say is my specialty, but I've got a lot of experience with, you know, factory ECM wiring and, and how this, this stuff all works. So most of it was pretty much, you know, look at the schematic, figure out where I need what what I needed, and got rid of the stuff I didn't. I love how simple you make it sound. You know, I've been around cars and trucks a long time, and I still won't touch a set of wires to save my life. <laughs> I have no interest in. If you got to lose ground on the battery, I might fix that. Might. It wasn't the easiest thing there, and I'll admit, I you know, I got lost looking for the signal for the tack, not realizing that this, the 06 runs it through the CAN bus system. Right. So I was, you know. <laughs> looking at the schematic, scratching my head, and you're going, "Where am I missing here?" <laughs> about three years. No, it, it took it took about a week of me, you know, doing a little search around when I was doing this here to get it running because I just kept thinking I'm missing something here, yeah. and you know, I, I don't claim to know it all. I just take the information that's out there and and my knowledge and try to put the two together to to do it, and it, it works. Thanks again to Tony for taking out the time to sit down and talk with us about your Cummins powered excursion. Nick Pregnance is about to go into detail about why he built Apache Max, saying it's about having his cake and eating it too. I think the swap is appealing to anybody who likes diesel power, but likes the older the older uh, body style. You know, it's a you could not get a high performance diesel engine in a 2000 and older Chevy or GMC. Uh, all those trucks came with small blocks and big blocks. So if you want to run a 2000 GMC with a big block, you just put a set of heads on it and a 585 cubic inch, whatever the hell you want to do. You know what I mean? Right. Um, if you want to run a hot diesel, you don't build a 6.5. <laughs> if you do, you certainly don't do it again. Um, you know, so you got to do a swap if you want to go back to a high, high performance diesel. Okay. I, I like that. I think that's a really good explanation to it. You know, you, you have some nostalgia or you have some love for that body style and you want that look, but like you said, it just, it wasn't an option. So you had to, had to do it on your own. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's the best of everything, Paul? <laughs> of course. You what know? else? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
Now, Nick and Eric have a lot in common when it comes to talking swaps. For Nick, it was that body style of the 58 Apache and the power of a Duramax that really drove his decision to build Apache Max. For Eric, it's a similar idea. He really has a, a mix of functionality and fun that he brings to the table with the Duraburb. The advantage of going with more power is, along with it, ironically with diesel, you get even more efficiency. So the the advantage of the performance side is that you improve your fuel economy and your capacity. Um, one of the biggest and most most notable selling points of all our Duramax Suburbans is the ability for them to be tuned by calibrated power solutions with Duramax Tuners DSP-5 through EFI Live. Um, when we match that with a, a four-inch stainless exhaust and an SMB cold air intake to all carb-approved material, when we're done, you have you know, a, a super flexible vehicle that can, can tow up to 16,000 pounds when you're in heavy tow mode, or you can flip the switch over to race mode and stomp some kid in a Camaro into the ground. <laughs> it, just, it, it makes it it's so much fun. Um, plus, over the years, the um, what we refer to as the super single option, where we go to the, the 64 millimeter or the 67, now 0.7, that just came out um, from calibrated we can keep the engine compartment looking totally stock, you know, and it, it appears to be OEM, but in fact, the engine makes 600 horsepower and 1,200 foot-pounds. God, that's awesome. Um, just literally lights the wheels all the way through the gears. Um, even my wife's 07 Denali, um, and, and this is a testament to the Duramax and when it's tuned correctly, like what we get from from Nick and Bob over there at Duramax Tuner. You know, my wife's got an 07 Denali XL. So it's a pretty good-sized vehicle, but it is a half ton, so it only weighs about 6,000 pounds. The Duramax that's in her truck right now has 365,000 miles on it. It has over 11,000 running hours on it. It's a former BP oil service truck that belonged to someone who knew. The... Uh, max effort tune that we're running from Duramax tuner on it in race mode on the dyno makes 525, 530 horsepower and just over a thousand foot pounds of torque. No kidding. On a 365,000 mile old drivetrain. <laughs> and if you boost launch her Denali, if you just hold the brake and put it to the floor until the back wheels break loose and just let off the brake and let it go. It's it's a little sideways all the way through first, all the way through second, all the way through third. And then when it gets into fourth, just after fourth gear shift, it throws another 40 feet of rubber on the ground. <laughs> so it's, it is a very lethal Denali. <laughs> it's a monster. It I is, love it. And my wife drives that thing like she stole it. So, <laughs> you know, and that's the beautiful thing about going into the higher horsepower is you can go 600 horsepower, 1,200 foot-pounds, and... That thing will last four or 500,000 miles. It'll live a long, happy life. So what do you think, Scott? Three guys who have success stories in the swap market. Does yes. does it still make you think why? Um, I do, I, I guess, for them, I 
it makes sense. <laughs> Looking at my own situation, it's a hard sell to the wife. I think that's one thing we didn't even touch on, but that's probably for another episode. You don't see yourself pulling the Mercedes motor and putting it on a motorcycle or something awesome here soon. No, no, I don't. Oh God, no, not even close. Not even close. <laughs> but no, I definitely do. I, I do get, I do see the, um, the draw, you know, kind of having it, I guess it's kind of like the old, like the Burger King model, you know, some guys just want it their way, you know, <laughs> that's really it. Why not? I guess. And it's those guys that, you know, they have the resources, the knowledge just to, to make it happen and good. I mean, really good for them. I dig it. Diesel swaps, just like Burger King. Have it your way. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> this has been Paul Wilson with the Diesel Performance Podcast. Thanks for listening. And Scott Hendricks. Be sure to visit us at dieselperformancepodcast.com. Thank you very much. The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTuner.com, developer of performance engine and transmission calibrations for a wide variety of late model diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, John Deere, Jeep, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920.